This podcast is a product of the 4th and Inches Network. A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW. Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Hey Husky fans, welcome back to 4th and Inches, a Husky podcast from the 4th and Inches Network. My name is Trevor Mueller and with me is Coach V. And Coach, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, give your uh, credentials, but I want to actually start off by uh, thanking you guys. Uh, I'm a teacher by day, a high school baseball coach by night, and the springtime is a really busy time for me. Uh, with where our practice schedule is after schools, I'm, I'm usually out of the house for about 12 hours a day, minus a couple hours to see my kiddos. But uh, it was really hard for me to keep up with everything going on uh, around the program during uh, the springtime, whether that was spring football visits and uh, your website, your, your discord page really helped me keep within arm's length during that time. So I want to thank you guys for that. And I want you to introduce yourself if you guys, you've been on before, but you know, give a reintroduction. Oh man. Thank you for saying that. Um, and I can totally identify with your schedule during the season. I mean, you know, I'm going through that stuff in the summertime now, and I'm not looking forward to the <laughs> in our days again, but yeah, Coach V, um, I coach high school football. I teach uh, junior high math, um, and this whole dub dub discord thing that we started back in January is, is really taken off. Um, you were talking about, you know, with all the recruiting stuff that happened, and I think at one point, I we turned out something like 20 articles and, you know, just posting a new video coming up here today or tomorrow. Um, just talking to people and you know i don't have a ton of sources but i have a few and 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 knowing those guys and matt stein doing all of his his uh tracking and trying to reach out to recruits and and Izzo obviously with all the moderation and all the master marketing uh strategies that he has and and just kind of you know coming together as a family and and just trying to put something out that we believe in and that people are really responding to so it's 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 been great but it's a lot of work as you know yeah for sure and when i had you guys back on a few months ago like one of the things that just blew me away about that whole community is how fast it came together how i think out of everybody you guys really caught the wave of uh new excitement around the program with the exiting of jimmy lake and the uh the coaching search that ensued and and you guys have really kept that going through, you know, no games being played, but a lot of action around the university. Yeah, um, there's never really a dull moment, especially in the last six to seven months. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I still remember freezing my tail off at the Oregon game. I flew up for that. I bought tickets in August, thinking it would be a really good idea to be up there in November. <laughs> it was sideways rain and, and just, you know, the program kind of hitting a low point. And obviously a lot of stuff happened that night. But getting on that uh, sounder or whatever you call it, the light rail or whatever, and going back to where my car was parked at the airport, thinking to myself, this is, this is worse than that 0-12 season. This just felt worse. It felt negative. Um, People weren't happy. And, you know, I think that every iteration we thought of when we were talking about starting something, it all came from spaces, obviously. And, we just wanted something, a community where we could lean on each other, vent a little bit, and then reemphasize the positive stuff. And, and thank goodness, you know, we got the coaching staff that came in. 
Um, Coach DeBoer and his staff have uh, been amazing. They've been amazing to us, which is crazy. And we're nobody. Um, right. And they've, you know, coaches have reached out to us personally and said, hey, really appreciate what you're doing. Really appreciate that you're, you're hyping everybody up and being positive. And I think that the community was kind of needing something like that. So if we can be that, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know what? It's not one of the things that I appreciate uh, that it's not just, you know, um, pumping up for pumping up sake, uh, being kind of a, 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 I guess the word I'm looking for is like a, uh, permanently positive, regardless of what's going on. Um, but the, the coaching staff is actually earning it. And, um, I want to start there. Actually, I I gave you a a list of things we're going to talk about, and I'm going to skip the first one. We'll come back to it. But I do want to talk about uh, how this group has really taken a a program at a really low point with not a lot of credibility, with a lot of players and a lot of coaches around the area uh, and put together a pretty good uh, June that led to a lot of really, really good um, commitments. And that continued. So I guess, can you recap? um, what that no sleep June was like for this, uh, for this group. Going into that, uh, to all the official visits at the end of June, I think conservatively people were like, well, if we get three commitments, you know, and I think Stein was like, oh, we're going to get over that. And I was like the over, like at least four, but I knew that more would come, you know, I think, and more are still coming as, as we've heard several times, but it was just one after another, like guys were on board. And, and I really, I know we're going to talk about this later. People have been really frustrated with the local recruiting aspect, but it, the staff grind, they just work and work and work, you know, and, and it's all coordinated by Courtney Morgan. Um, the staff guys like, you know, coach Huff, who's, who's received a lot of heat over the last year, that dude has never been a bad recruiter ever. And I know that last year really hurt him personally, but you've got, you know, our tight ends coach, Nick Sheridan. He's a, he's a big time recruiter as well. Inge is like, is like this big teddy bear, this big personality, you know, these guys, a shepherd. I mean, that dude's got more energy than I've ever had in my entire life. And <laughs> like, he doesn't need coffee. He doesn't need anything. He just, you know, just give him his task and he's going to go loudly. He's going yeah. to perform that. Um, I could go on and on, but these guys know what they're doing. And I think that their grind has impressed a lot of kids and uh, their knowledge of the game. Like when we talk to kids, they're like, man, this guy's really smart. And it's true. I mean, following him back through, you know, all the DeBoer days and, you know, being a, being a head coach at, at a small school and then being a big 10 offense coordinator and, if you can make Indiana look good, I mean, right. So the credibility is there. Um, the kids know it and they're just out working. They have to, they just, they're new on the scene. A lot of people didn't know them. They just have to work harder and to their credit, they're crushing it. Yeah, they absolutely are. And, and in a previous podcast, we went over all the guys that committed right during that weekend or, or the, the few days after, but I do, I really was excited that you reached out because I think that you explain the quarterback position better than most, um, you know, since your time on discord and being kind of the film guru, there's been a lot of guys that have 
been potential Washington uh, uh, commits that that you've broken down, whether that was Jaden Rashada, Avery Johnson, um, the Lincoln uh, the Lincoln kid, uh, uh, Jabari Johnson, um, and then uh, Washington finally gets their quarterback of the 2023 class. Obviously, after that, we kind of knew Avery Johnson probably wasn't going to be a Husky. Um, and that's Lincoln Kinesholt. And uh, he didn't have a ton of big time offers. He had, uh, it was really Wisconsin, us, and then uh, one of the powerhouses, uh, was it North Dakota State? Um, what do you got on him? Man, we've been looking at this guy for months, um, and it's pretty funny. I had a, I always have a list of guys. I go down this list of people I'm going to study and write about. And, I, you know, I, before this, obviously, we had, you know, all the guys you talked about, including, you know, Avery Johnson, <clears throat> um, Aiden Childs. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of, you know, I was going down this list, and Stein was like, you got to check out Lincoln Kenholz, Kenholz. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll get to him. He's like, no, no, you got to check him out. I go okay, I will stop what I'm doing. I'll go watch the film. And then I didn't respond to him. And he got back to me a couple hours later. I was like, yeah, sorry, I'm watching it again. And I'm trying to figure out why this kid doesn't have more offers. And I know South Dakota is not a hotbed of of high school football talent. I know that we had COVID, you know, the pandemic, and obviously kids aren't getting out to as many camps. And I don't know how many camps he's going to go to. He's a, he's a three sport athlete. Right. The kid right. is hitting dingers, playing baseball. The kid's dunking on people's heads. Like he's, he's a phenomenal athlete. So I don't know how much time he would have had anyway to dedicate to going all the camps and camps and being seen. But <clears throat> when you're looking at a kid who's six foot three, 185 pounds can jump out of the gym is fast is he's got a he's got a really good arm with a lot of touch on the deep ball um the sky is really the limit for a kid like him because you know ron mckeefer is going to get his hands on him and in two years he's going to be six three six four about 210 pounds right and he's going to be even more explosive and uh kaylin DeVore doesn't really miss with developing quarterbacks right it's just kind of his thing so i mean Right now, he's this like little known three star, quote unquote, three star out in South Dakota. And he's just like the big fish, a humongous fish in a small pond. But man, he looks good and he's only going to get better. Right. And it's, you know, he'll come in in the class of 2023 and um, he will have, uh, my guess is at least two years before he's looking at, uh, you know, major contribution uh on the field on saturdays so lots of time to develop uh as as you mentioned ron mckeefrey one of the best uh strength and conditioning uh coordinators out there so uh i mean and then (laughs) that goes right into landon hatchet who's all already when it comes to uh, a a running a running style offensive tackle the guy is really really strong already uh what do you think that ron mckeefrey does with somebody like landon hatchet um, I honestly believe that he's sort of that ideal center prospect. And sure. I know that's, that's where they want to start him first. Cause that's what he plays. Um, the good news about him. And, and I think we've talked about before, or at least I've talked about before that Ferndale offense, not a whole lot of pass protection, you know, sure. run the T, but the way he pulls out and just flies yeah. around the field, like he's already an explosive kid at nearly 300 pounds. He, 
he's he's not skinny. He's a, he's a big strong kid. Another kid who hits a bunch of dingers, plays yeah. baseball. Um, the strength and conditioning aspect for him is going to be just leaning out a little bit, and then adding that mass back in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect him to play next year. I think it's really no. good to have that time to. You know, I'm a firm believer that no offensive lineman, outside of like Jonathan Ogden or Orlando Pace or somebody like that, should right. ever play either run one. And I know that we had that a couple of years ago with with Trey and Nick Harris and a couple of guys out of necessity. But um, he's got to get. First of all, he's you know Parker Brailsford came in last year and he's a good center guard, and then he's got to you know wait out his brother. Right. He's got a really good shot at starting this year at center. So I don't think he's needed anytime soon, but third year in the program, he's probably just going to walk out on the field and start destroying people. So, yeah. And actually I see a lot of that with this group that I'm not sure how many uh, are going to be guys that push for playing time early, other than some of those higher four-star guys. Uh, But I see, I see guys that are uh, have, really something really good about their game. Uh, and, and that includes Leroy Bryant. Um, I think that he's one of those guys that you stash on the bench and, and they become, uh, you know, uh, major contributors by their red shirt sophomore year. Leroy. I love this kid, man. I, I watched him over and over again and it's not like some of the kids, you know, like, like a Jordan Sanford, who's like electronically timed at 10, five, five. Right. I, Leroy's not necessarily a kid that I think was going to go run a four three forty or anything like that. But what he is, is super instinctive. He's got great agility and movement skills. He can mirror, he can track everything. And he takes really good routes to things. He's super physical. And it's it sort of an anomaly. I know like he joined the basketball team late this year or something happened. He only played five games and like average 19 points a game. And that last game they had, it was like a district playoff or something like that. And he went off for 37, 38 points. And like, he's just a multi-talented kid. And I think, I think his re- he really just sees the whole field. Every time I go back and watch, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to study huddle film. It's not all 22, but it just looks like he always knows where he's supposed to be. And he's always right. there in a hurry. And when he arrives, if you've got the ball in your hands, he's going to punish you. Mm-hmm. So, man, I love that kid. Honestly, I don't care what his rating is. He's a football player and another kid that maybe in his second year, he's a core special teams guy and he works yeah. his way up and gets corner reps. And you know, I really do like it. Excellent. Yeah. And I guess, you know, rounding out this class, is there anybody that you want to highlight is, uh, you know, we, Anthony James, uh, Rashid, Rashid, Rashid Williams, Vincent Holmes, those four-star guys, we, we all know about them. Who's somebody in this class that's maybe a lower three-star guy that uh, that we haven't mentioned that you're pretty high on? Well, um, anybody will tell you that my number one wish list kid for this class was Elisha Jacket. Yeah. I thought he was my number one tackle guy that we were in on. And we got him, and that's awesome. But Zachary Henning is completely under the radar and completely undervalued. And I don't know what people are watching. And I know Utah wanted him really bad, and that's a good indicator for me as well. But 6'6", long right. arms, he can mirror like very few kids his size can. There's no bad weight on him. He's probably about 270 pounds, 270, 280 pounds. And I know the kid works out with a personal line coach. I know he's very fundamentally sound. 
Um, he's got reach, he's got quick feet. This kid in a few years as a 305, 310 pound tackle is going to be phenomenal. I'll, you know, I don't mind putting myself out there and saying that he reminds me a little bit of Mateo Mele, but I think he's longer. And uh, I, I, saw Mateo, I saw Mateo when he was a sophomore tight end at a camp once. And I was looking at him, I was like, that kid's going to be an offensive lineman. They're like, what? <laughs> he's only 245 pounds. And like, no, he's going to be an offensive lineman. You wait and see, he's going to grow. And then sure enough, yeah, he turned into a pretty good, you know, tackle prospect. But right. I, like, I like Zach Henning. I, I don't know. I mean, I like everybody in this class, really. And then uh, for the linebacking core, the two guys we have committed, Devin Bryant is basically, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking, the kid from Georgia that just got drafted this year. Um, help me out, man. <clears throat> he's in my scouting report too. Um, but you, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's mm-hmm. basically the same kind of player. Uh, Jordan Whitney, he's got, he's got like Miles, or Miles Jack Jr. written all over him. Right. Two fast athletic kids who right. punish people. And uh, I mean, they're really underrated. I, I, I don't know why some of these kids' ratings are the way they are. I know that, you know, obviously for them to rise, other kids have to fall. And there's a lot of good football players in America in the class of 2023 for sure, though. Yeah. And I wondered about that because uh, especially uh, Jordan Whitney, I, I don't know if I've seen a, a faster linebacker prospect in a while. Um, the only knock that I had was every once in a while he would over pursue. And uh, other than that, I thought that everything about him looked like a, a major college uh, linebacker. Uh, yeah, definitely. And he's, you know, I think he was listed at just over 200 pounds. And obviously that's going to change. He's like sure. six two, whatever. Um, but man, the kid is super aggressive. He, you know, the over pursuit thing that can easily be coached out of him. For sure. Rather, you rather have him be like super aggressive. And <laughs> right. And, like he arrives with bad intentions, man. And I, I, yeah. I threw that Miles Jack comp in there when I wrote about him. And I'm not saying it's Miles Jack. Miles Jack was a freak of nature. And like, I don't know if I've ever seen a high school linebacker hit people the way that Miles Jack did, like right. anywhere on the West Coast. And there's been a lot of guys, obviously, but I mean, Jordan Whitney's got those tendencies. And he plays running back too. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, moving on. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but. Uh, while I'm pumped about this class, you're pumped about this class. There's definitely a, a lack of Washingtonians, um, in the fold right now. And I think the biggest gut punch, I mean, uh, on Saturday, Jaden Wayne is going to be committing. And, and if I was a betting man, I would put it on Miami right now. Um, you have Caleb Presley who, is going to Oregon and then uh, Josiah Wagner, who, it, you know, it's, it's crazy. You have Caleb Presley, who's one of the best cover corners in this, in this class. And then you have Josiah Wagner, who is one of the best hitters in this class uh, from the cornerback position, uh, not putting Washington in his final group. Um, what does this group need to do to recoup those relationships that are broken? And do you think that, uh, how long do you think that will take this, uh, this coaching staff? Yeah. You know what? A lot of people have been speculating about that and, and we have as well, obviously, but I think that 
relationships need to be mended over time and it's not about saying the right things it's just about being you know right exactly what you say you are i know the high school coaches i've talked to like and you know some of the the club ball guys i think that they believe that they're not being prioritized whether that's true or not and i know it's always perception like it's it's tough when you've got a team uh, to the south who absolutely made it a mission to steal kids out of Washington and give them over overly high attention. And that's recruiting. And that's kind of, you know, I think the the staff was kind of caught off guard by this. And while they wanted to recruit and they wanted to, you know, be honest with kids, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fluff and hype that goes into recruiting. And I think that maybe the one drawback of our staff is they weren't necessarily ready for that, that tactic. And, uh, you know, it, it, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't concerned about it, but I think that they're probably going to take this year as like, take their lumps and this is a lesson. And I know they've already started on the 24 kids and they're really trying to mend those fences. I remember for a while, I heard that, uh, Rashawn Clark, who's a 24 DB. Oh, he's um, real good. <clears throat> oh, I love that kid. Yeah. I think he was frustrated that they weren't recruiting him and then they came back and they realized their mistake and they re-offered him and started recruiting him again so I think that he feels a lot more positive about Washington but again once you once somebody feels like you've wronged them even if it's a perceived slight I mean if it's just a little thing you really have to work that much harder just to draw even with the teams that they never had a problem with so honestly I think that they're doing the legwork. I think that the perception just needs to change and that's really not up to them. It's up to, you know, the perceptor, the person who's seeing this and saying, well, it's the same old Washington. They don't really care about our kids. That's not true, but it's not us. They have to convince it's them. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, you guys have talked even about how, um, you know, going after some of those big fish nationally, uh, is a necessity of a national program. And so that uh, just because uh, early in the cycle, Washington isn't, uh, isn't offering these kids, it doesn't mean that they're not going to prioritize them as, as the, the season goes. Cause you know, um, although this class, this coaching staff does give out more offers than the previous coaching staffs. Um, I don't, I still don't, you know, they're not going to give out 500 scholarship offers like uh, some of the other universities. Most importantly, they're giving out offers, but they're committable. Sure. Yes. Which is not the case with some of our neighbors, you know, and some of our competitors. I mean, sometimes an Oregon offer is just, is for hype. Yep. And you try to take it, they'll be like, well, why don't you wait? So I think that our staff does a really good job of identifying like who their players are, like they really like, hey, I know that people aren't really talking about this kid, but he looks great and he'll fit in our system and we want him. And they'll offer. And sometimes you got to throw those offers out to national kids. You know, there's a, I forgot the kid's name, uh, DC offensive lineman. He got offered last week, the week before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Washington, DC. You got to, I mean, he's already got several offers. He's being recruited by a lot of schools, but you at least got to throw your hat in the ring. Um, Somebody will point to that and say, well, why don't you just offer a Washington State kid? And it's like, yeah, I'm sure they're on those guys. I think they know a little bit more about them in their backyard. Um, But yeah, I mean, 
no you're never going to please everybody it would be nice to please the local kids though yeah i mean and and i think that that it has to be a priority right because if you're not getting the kids in your in your area building that fence as people like to say uh, it's going to be really hard to compete nationally year in and year out and so i oh go ahead i was just going to say um i just want to throw that out there for anybody who has been following this for for decades um there's no such thing as a fence anymore yeah i think with the internet that's kind of uh, maybe a thing of the past a little bit and uh the technology is the way it is that you know a staying in in state isn't necessarily the same as it was a, a decade ago and, even and it used to be a really big source of pride for washington state kids sure and that used to be more realistic, but now they've kind of had their eyes open to, you know, other schools like in the Big Ten and the SEC. They come to the West Coast all the time. They're trying to poach these kids. And now there's been really great football players in the past who didn't get looked at at Alabama because it was very regional based. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to say that now, I think it's unrealistic. However, you don't want like 90 or 10 top kids going elsewhere. Sure. Just a bad look. It's bad publicity. It puts a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But I will say this. If the local school is recruiting you, they've gave you an offer, they're calling you, and you're not necessarily that excited about it, I mean, the staff has to make a decision, right? Sure. And if if you're a coach and you say, hey, I want you to come to junior day, I can't, I got something else to do. And then you end up visiting another school, well, don't be hurt if they move on. Right. So I just, I hope everybody stays realistic. It's not like they like kids from other states more. It's just that they're getting more reciprocity from some other kids, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well put. Um, getting back to one of the, the best recruiting class under the Peterson Lake era, that 2022 class or 2020 class uh, is now going into the redshirt sophomore or junior seasons. And we've seen a few of those guys really pop out and become uh, major players. Probably most namely, you're going to go uh, Carson Bruner is one of those guys on the defensive side of the ball. And then the receivers, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze. Um, there's some other guys that, you know, I, watching Savelle Smalls play, uh, I, I feel like he gets, uh, he gets, he gets pushed in the back a lot. I'll say that. I think that one of the things about him is he does do a really good job of setting the edge. Uh, the sack numbers haven't come like we wanted to. I'm starting with him, but I, I wrote some guys down that I'm really interested to see, uh, if they pop. And I want to start there with Savelle Smalls. What do you, what do you expect from somebody like Smalls in, in this defense and, you know, going into, you know, he's firmly into his college days now. Man, we were talking about him not that long ago. And I feel like this is a make it or break it year for him. Yeah. If he's going to stay on the edge, a um, little bit different system. Now I actually think it benefits him a little bit more. I thought playing in space is kind of like the opposite of what he was doing in high school, but obviously he's a six, three ish kid. He's around six, two, six, three. Um, I'm not sure what his weight is right now. He's not the longest dude in the world, and he's never had refined pass rush like moves. So that's what he's been working on, I'm sure. He looked pretty good when I saw him in the spring. Um, it's just that matter of like flipping the light switch. And if he's, if he's getting 
if he's in a role where he maybe he's not the starting edge, but he's there in pass rush situations, he's going to have to eat. He's going to have to take advantage of that because the other option for him is moving inside the linebacker. In this defense, in a 4-2-5, it's not like he can sit out there and just kind of, you know, play Sam or whatever. I don't think that's his best role, like going backwards. So um, this is obviously a really big year for him. But, you know, he's got ZTF. you got Braylon Trice. you got a bunch of guys in that, you know. Um, um, really like Jeremiah Martin as well. Martin, yes, Martin. Martin looked really good during the spring. I'm excited to see what he does. Um, he just looks like a different human being. Like he really worked his tail off. You can tell over the winter. Um, so there's a lot of guys that rotate in. Uh, Maurice Himes yeah. has kind of come on a little bit. And he's one of those six, five long arm guys. that's really athletic. So again, he needs to put it together this year, or he's probably looking at a position change. I'm not his coach. That's not my decision, but that's kind of how I see with his body type. And if, if pass rushing doesn't become his forte, then you know, maybe filling the A gap and busting somebody in the head is. Right. Yeah. And another one who on the offensive side of the ball, switching sides, uh, we have a couple of running backs and, and we've seen Jadavian Sunday a little bit. Uh, we saw him in some situations last year. Um, and then the other one uh, is Adams and, and Adams has been in the program, super highly touted um, guy. Dad, dad was an NFL player. Um, he seems to fit the DeBoer system as a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Really haven't seen much. I know he's dealt with some injuries. What is your uh, take on those two in 2022? Well, I know that Sunday they've been working him into the rotation. Um, wanted him to work on his pass protection a little bit. He's, he's one of those kids that wants to run really hard, wants to run through contact. I feel like he needs to kind of, work on his vision a little bit, kind of setting up his wounds a little better. He's just kind of like, you know, go, go, go. But I kind of, I, I feel like sometimes his running style is in between, but he's a young guy still trying to figure it out. It's not high school anymore. Like high school running backs, if you're really good, you make it look really easy because those right. other kids on the other side don't want to tackle a 200 plus pound <laughs> right. college bound athlete. Yeah. And I think you know, it's, it's a huge adjustment for a kid to come in and, and, and then learn a new system which he wasn't recruited to play necessarily. So I think it just takes a little bit of time. <clears throat> um, man, Sam Adams. I couldn't, I could barely find any sign of him when I was there on the field and, and there during the spring. Um, I think he was injured. Yeah. We haven't seen a whole lot of him. And, and honestly, my personal feeling was, man, this kid looks like an All-American safety when he was in high school. He's got a little bit of a, you know, when he was in high school, playing for Eastside Catholic, they were usually more talented than everybody. Uh, but there's a game where they came down to play Centennial in Peoria, Arizona. And it was an ESPN game, and it was a big deal. And I remember, really good athletic kid. He runs really high. And there were times where he was just getting stood up, and he was taking unnecessary shots. And, you know, he started talking about maybe, maybe he had a shoulder injury or whatever. He's he runs so upright that he's never not taking the big shot unless you know he just outruns everybody. Right. You're catching the ball in the backfield. I just felt like he was a really he could have been a really dominant defensive player. And now he's been in the program for a few years, two or three years. And now it's like, okay, what's his role? I really hope he sticks it out. I really hope he figures it out. We just haven't seen anything, right. like not even a little bit, not even in spring. So 
it's it's to say to speculate on you know how he's doing it's just it's just a guess right and then that goes a little bit to the offensive line that class had had five guys in it um you know watching them on the sidelines now that they've been in the program for three years they're all they look like they're they're ready to play and you know, part of it is with that 2020 season and a lot of those guys coming back uh, to play that 21, 2021 campaign, uh, it probably set them back a year. It looks like a lot of those guys are ready to play, whether that's Miles Morale, Roger Rosengarten, Guard Memelar, Gary and Hatchet. Yeah, you know, the thing with Miles is that he has had the worst injury luck since his senior year of high school. You know, he played on a bad ankle his senior year at Modern Day. He came into the program, had some injuries. Um, he was wearing a knee brace uh, during spring practice. He's really just had the worst luck. And when you factor in that COVID year when they weren't really allowed to work out together and, you know, that goes for rehab too. I mean, it's really hard to kind of get a, a footing when your first year in college, you're kind of set up to fail with the way it was set up, period. Um, so I really hope he gets healthy so we can kind of tap into that natural athleticism he showed when he was in high school. Uh, Roger Rosengarten was my favorite, maybe one of my favorite, maybe one or two favorite players in that class. He was just big, nasty, physical, athletic kid from Colorado. I think he's going to see a lot of playing time this year. I think that he's got a real shot to win one of the tackle jobs, depending on, you know, if Victor Kern moves inside or, you know, they've definitely got some veterans. So, I do expect him to be in the rotation. I do expect him to see a lot of snaps. And I think that getting his feet wet this year and then just, just blowing it out next year and being a dominant force. Guard Memelar, I swear to God, that guy's looked like he's 25 since he came into the program. Um, I don't know what he weighs now. I'm not looking at a, a program, but he is just a big, physical, surprisingly agile and athletic kid. And he just hasn't had an opportunity yet. And I really hope he gets more snaps this year. Um, you know, Hatchet, the older Hatchet is our kind of like dubbed up. We talk about this all the time. I think he's the dark horse to start at center this year. I know that he wasn't the starter in spring, but I think that he was coming on. And I think that his natural athleticism, his talent is going to be a huge asset. It's, it's got to be his third year in the program. He's been in the program for like two or three years now. And <clears throat> this is that time where guys kind of jump up and take take a hold of it. So I think he's going to be the starting center. I'm not sure. It could be Matteo Mele. It could be Luciano. But I think that Hatch is going to make a name for himself this year. Yeah, and kind of to piggyback on that, I think that you're looking at uh, – Guard Memelar was one of my favorites in that class, just how fast he was around the edge. Um, I thought that in that run-first style offense that – um, back to Chris Peterson, uh, ran, he was the perfect fit to be an inside guy. And uh, I think that regardless if it's this year or not, you're going to see those names on the backs of your starting offensive linemen in 2023, uh, I guess. And what you talked about is these guys starting to compete with those upperclassmen right away. Of course, left tackle, as long as once he's healthy, that's going to be locked down by Jackson Kirkland. But I think like what you're saying that pretty much every other position on that offensive line is at least up for grabs, at least uh, a, a competitive position for one of these highly uh, talented guys to come up and grab. Yeah. And you still got guys like, uh, you know, Nate Kalepo, 
right and troy fatanu and and like and the guys who are you know returning starters obviously there's just so many dudes that right you can be a really good football player and still have to wait your turn for three years and i think that a lot of kids might not usually have the patience for that i think offensive linemen are a little bit different breed um i know that they all love coach huff and I think that they're going to thrive in the new system, but you know, they're slim, they're slimmer. They're leaned out a little bit more. They're more versatile athletes than they were a year ago. Right. That's a good thing. But yeah, there's so many guys competing. It's crazy. Yeah. And it is one of those things, you know, you, you hear like the farther away you are from the ball, uh, the higher percentage chance you have of playing when you're uh, early. And, and I think that we saw that with especially Trey Adams that the years of playing, really wore him down when he was young. And uh, so, you know, he has that big catastrophic injury and instead of having some years in the NFL, unfortunately uh, retires. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that too. Like 18 year olds, no matter how big and strong and athletic you are, there is a certain wear and tear that you, when you're not done growing yeah, can do some damage, which is why I always say, Hey, best time to play offensive linemen is in his third year. By then, yeah. he's been in the strength and conditioning program. His tendons are stronger. He's just tougher. And, you know, uh, it's really, like I said, a very small handful of kids can go on and be successful by coming out as a true freshman and starting on the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, to finish this off, before we get to some Discord stuff, I, I really want to talk about uh, just the absolute upheaval that is college football right now. And you, I was in a Twitter space with you and, and you really summed it up really well. Personally, this, the LA schools leaving the PAC 12 is really, really sad. My dad and I have been going every year to a different PAC 12 uh, school every year to watch the Huskies play. Um, and that bill's either going to get a lot more expensive or uh, uh, the travel time is going to be a lot bigger, but it's not going to be the PAC 12 that we grew up with. Uh, give me your initial thoughts on, uh, you know, it looks like the end of the Pac-12 as we know it. Man, and, and every day there's a new story, right? Like, oh, we're going to be in the Big Ten, or oh, maybe we're going to join the Big 12, or hey, maybe they're going to join us, or now it's this Pac-12 ACC merger that they're right. talking about. Any, any way to get some clicks and some attention, like anybody can say anything, I'm going to go out there with my, my small following and just start throwing some rumors around like, Hey, we're going to join the AFC West. Right. Um, it sucks because I was really looking forward to undoing the damage that was the Larry Scott era right. and seeing what Kliakov could do. Uh, I think he's a really good guy. I think he's really smart. And I think that he would have had some good things for us in store. And now he's got a kind of shift on the fly and try to save the conference. So I don't know what the answer is. I, I'm not one of these guys professing to have some inside sources. I've, I'm reading all the same stuff that everybody else is. But the fact that USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12, like that doesn't make sense to me. Like just my brain doesn't wrap around there. I, I know that they got a little scared probably and they didn't want to get left out. And the Big Ten wanted the LA market, which is great for them. Um, I can't imagine why the Big Ten doesn't want Washington and Oregon, but if it turns out that they don't ask or they just don't want to do it at this time, 
Um, I think that tying yourself to a to a another conference that is probably in the same boat you are long term is probably not the answer. I think they got to do something short term or they have to find something better than what's supposedly out there right now. I'm really intrigued by that ACC Pac-12 merger thing. I think that could be really beneficial. I think ESPN contract that it has with the ACC, I think it's viable. This, this Pac-12, Big 12 thing just seems like it's buying time. Yeah, I think so too. And I saw, and again, like what you're saying, like anybody who has uh, over a thousand followers can pretty much tweet anything they want and have somebody pick it up. Uh, and the clause about, you know, Washington and Oregon getting, uh, permitting them, you know, getting into the big 12 with the stipulation that they can leave without any penalties. Silly. Um, why would the Pac-12 do, or why would the big 12 do that? Exactly. So, and I know that those are brand names that can help them, but at the same time, I mean, they got to look out for their best interests as well. Yeah. And so I guess with that, um, going back to the big 10, it's crazy to think that they would be, uh, they would have those two outlying schools way out there. Because if you look at, you know, you talk about Maryland and Rutgers, um, you, you also have Pennsylvania right there. So the, those games aren't as regional outliers as literally the other ocean. Yeah, that's what didn't make sense to me as this thing has gone on. Like, I'm always wondering if, I, you know, when I get media reports in, in my Twitter feed or if I'm watching on TV, my, the first thought I always uh, wonder about is like, who wants this information out there? Like, who's trying to drive a narrative? We saw it with the Seahawks and Russell Wilson for a couple of years. And, and I always just kind of like, with a grain of salt, I, I kept trying to tell my buddy for two years that we were probably going to end up trading Russ. And he's like, oh, no, I can't see it. And I'm like, those rumors don't come out of nowhere. It's an agent, a team, somebody wants you to get desire. So now that, you know, you can plant a seed. Um, it would be really short-sighted in the Big Ten, in my opinion to have two teams out West, far West, and then make them travel to everything or have all your teams travel out there without having partners in the West. It seems like a kind of natural thing. And then someone says, well, what about the money? Maybe if they don't want to split the pot. And like, I, I totally see that too. But if the goal is to make a super conference and compete with the SEC, and you know, they're going to try to expand again after Texas and Oklahoma, um, the long-term value is there. And being short-sighted, maybe they're just trying to get the price down and say, hey, you guys will let you in, but you're going to take a 70% cut of what everybody else is getting for the first term, for the first uh, television contract. Um, I'm, I'm like so tired of it already. I just want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop reading everything. I'm just going to wait. And at some point, someone's going to tell me where we are. And then we'll deal with it. We'll, we'll all complain about it, no matter what it is. We'll all complain, and some people will be like, "This is this is terrible. It's the end of college football." Like, I mean, expansion of the Pac-8 to the 10 to the 12—that wasn't the end of college football. Um, the Big Ten added a bunch of teams. They're not. How many teams are in the Big Ten now? I don't know. It's not there's 10. More, there's more. Yeah, there's at least 11. I know there was a little 11 in their logo for quite a while. Yeah, man. I mean, things, things are always constantly changing. And it goes back to your point that you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast when you were talking about how 
uh, the idea of a fence around anything is a myth now. And I think this goes to show you that there, you know, the regionalization of college football uh, is disintegrating too. And, and I, I don't mean that as a bad thing or good thing or a bad thing, but I think it is a reality that um, as the world gets smaller, um, as technology gets better and as travel is more streamlined, I think you see um, the United States just become a smaller and smaller place, uh, allowing kids, you know, there's, I, I know a kid from Oregon who's at IMG right now. And obviously you saw some other guys, that's the other side of the country. And, uh, and, and it's, and it's doable uh, for kids that aren't even adults yet. Now, listen, if you've never been to Bradenton, Florida, where IMG is located, and I've been to IMG, I got to tour that place once. And I've been to Bradenton a few times when I used to live in Florida. There's nothing there, man. It's just a big old academy for sports that has a loose affiliation with ac academics, <laughs> more tutoring than, you know, real academics. But, you know, there's there, parents are paying a lot of money for their kids to go there. And yeah. it's a, heck of a racket, but I, I don't get me started on IMG, man. I'll, I'll go off for half an hour. Um, <laughs> well, it's very but, similar. You know, it, Pete Sampras, Andrea Agassi, didn't they go to some sort of a specialized tennis schools around that area as well? Right, right, right. Um, and that was kind of the norm. Right. Tennis, soccer, specialized individual sports, sure. going other places away from your family. Um, if you're if you're a soccer prodigy in the U.S., you're eight years old, nine years old, you're going over to England or Europe or somewhere and uh, honing your craft. Um, when you're talked about the whole, you know, the country is, it, it, there's no fences anymore, but we see a guy like Brandon Collier who does his dream chasers tour. One of his kids is on our football team, Maurice Himes, and he's international kids now because of the internet, because of Twitter, because of, you know, all of these methods that we can sort of shrink our world and kind of be exposed to everywhere the game of football is growing a lot of kids are coming over from overseas now this used to be a basketball thing now it's a football thing i mean at this point you'd love to build a fence around the state of washington but at the same time if you did that and you didn't let players leave you'd have to build an entire recruiting class on just washington kids or they'd say hey we're stuck in the fence, man. Like you just, you're never going to make everybody happy. I will say next year, they don't get Jason Brown. I'm going to um, maybe go into a dark place, maybe just kind of, you know, disappear for a while. Like nobody will see Coach V. I, you know, he's that, he's that dude that we haven't gotten the last three years. The JTTs, you know, Emeka Buka, Jaden Wayne, Josh Connerly. Like this is starting to be a little concerning now. Jason Brown, Afua, those guys, Rashawn Clark. It's time to put the hammer down a little bit and say, hey, we need yeah. it. Oh, for sure. And those guys have to be must gets. Um, and I think the coaching staff knows that. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find uh, this message board? Well, Discord, uh, dub dub Discord. If you sign up on Discord, you can just search us really easy. D-U-B apostrophe D up. And we've, it's grown by leaps and bounds. So many channels for chat. Uh, VIP, I know we've been running a lot of, uh, you know, um, promotions for first month free, cancel anytime. Um, it's seriously, it's only $8. And there's a lot of content. There's a lot of people there. 
Um, it's just a really great place and a great community that's not overly moderated, but obviously we're not going to, you know, kind of let it be a negative place. Like we're just here to share ideas, get information. And I feel like we're doing a really great job of that. I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but there's a lot of people that are putting in a lot of work and uh, the people who are members are just amazing. That's awesome. Coach, thank you so much. Thank you.